Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, it is good to see everybody this morning. I want to especially welcome those who are watching online. We're glad to have you with us. And I want to welcome those in the classic service as well. Uh, We love that we're able to partner with you guys. I know you had a great worship service this morning. And uh, we're excited. If you're visiting with us or, or maybe you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we're in a little bit different series. It's a series where we're walking through what we call the Venture Way. We're talking about seven core practices that we think are fundamental to following Jesus that we want to practice together as a church. And as I told you, this series is an overview series. This isn't the last you'll hear of it. We'll come back to these again and again because we want to teach you. We feel this responsibility as a church. How are we equipping you in your walk with Jesus? How are we helping you experience what I would say is the best life? And, and wouldn't everybody here agree? Does everybody want to experience the best life? Yeah, seven people do, that's good. Uh, others, you're kind of holding back a little bit. You're like, well, wait, where's it going? This is sounding a little prosperity-ish or all that. I, hear me, the best life is not the easiest life. In fact, if, if you look back on your own life, you might look at seasons of your life, you go, you know, that ended up being one of the best seasons in my life. And it wasn't easy. Sometimes it can be hard and challenging, but it's amazing what God does through it. As we've looked in this series, we go back to that verse of Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the way. And, And that way is not just a pathway to heaven. It's the way of God here on earth. It's the way of the kingdom. It's the way we're called to live as we're following him. I am the truth, not just a set of doctrines, but the living truth itself. I am the life. And it's not just eternal life that you hope you got one day. It's actually an abundant life that he's promised right now. And he says, nobody experiences it. Nobody's going to get there. Nobody gets to the father except through Jesus. And so as a church, we've looked at this and go, okay, how do we teach? How do we practice together these practices that help us follow Jesus? And uh, I've looked at it. You'll see these every week. The last few weeks we've looked at it. We we talked about, we engage God personally. We receive teaching. We're a part of a church family where we're being taught. We, We worship daily. We offer our lives as a living sacrifice before God. And we worship him through our work. We worship him through all that we do and say. We worship him as a corporate expression, what we've done this morning. Today, we wanna look at the next two. And I think these two are so fundamental, not only to church, but to life, to the best life, to actually experiencing what life's all about, live in community and serve others. So let's just dive in with that first one. Live in community we recognize that we are made for relationships with others. You, you were made for it. You were built for it. It's your purpose. I, I was talking to some, some friends even yesterday. And we were talking about one time we were duck hunting and there was this lab with us, Daisy. And this dog, I mean, you get up at like 4 a.m. The moment we got up, Daisy's excited. I mean, she, she can't stop, literally, she can't stop shaking because she knows what she's going to do that day. 
And, and, and you go out to this duck blind and you're waiting and you're waiting for the sun to come up. The dog never stops shaking. We're all shaking because we're freezing. <laughs> Daisy's shaking because she's excited. And, and as you watched over the course of the hunt as that dog would, would dive into the water, would go get the bird, would follow the commands, you, you just recognized she's excited because she was made for this. Man, she's living in what she was made for. And, and I want us to embrace on this one, you were made for relationships at your very core. And, and I, I say that because we were created in the image of a relational God. This is the unique thing about Christianity. We serve a God who's Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, one God. But it's been an eternal relationship from eternity past, there was a relationship of love. And, and this triune God said at the beginning, let us, this triune God, make man, humanity in our image after our likeness. Out of all the creation, we're the part that's made in his image. We're the part who's made like our God. And so if you go back to it, if you have a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, Scripture tells us that love itself, they are the essence of love itself. And we were made in their image. If they've been in an eternal relationship, do you think relationships are important to us? Do you think it's just fundamental to our being and who we are? And so when we call people to live in relationship, it, it's so core to just Christianity itself. I mean, you look at it, his whole plan is built on relationships with him and others. The whole plan of Christianity is built on relationships. And again, I, I, I call you to this because sometimes when we've been around the church, we, we you know, forget it's really unique compared to any other religion. Every other religion is built on a system. You got to learn the system. You got to learn the right way. You got to learn the five pillars. You got to learn the right path. You got to do the right things. You're doing all these things that you might get right with this deity, or you might get right with eternity, or you might get to nirvana with that. At the core of it though, you've got to learn this system so that you can be good at it. At the core of Christianity is a relationship. God wanted a relationship with you because he's a relational God, remember? And his whole plan is built on relationship. And so much so that he was willing, a member of that Trinity was willing to come on, take on human flesh and die on a cross to, to cover our sin, to do what we could not do so that we could have relationship with him. And, and I say this because I've talked to so many people over the years and, and I'll hear this testimony again. Sometimes people have been in church for years. Sometimes people maybe grew up in a church even that you really were taught it was all a system and it was all about keeping the right rules and doing the right thing. Or you can bring some of that baggage in or it can so block you. And I'll talk to people that they'll go, you know, it wasn't until I was an adult that I finally realized, wait, God actually wants to have a relationship with me. Hear me. It's the very core and essence of, of everything we do is that relationship with him. It's so important that he said, in fact, when Jesus was asked, what are the, the two most important commands? He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, 
with all your mind and with all your strength. The number one command, notice what he says, out of all the things, they're, they're asking Jesus, summarize your system. Summarize what you're teaching. He goes, hey, it's always been about one thing. You have a love relationship with God. You love him with everything. It's not that you earn enough with him. You've done enough. You did these five things or you did that or you gave. He says, no, no, let's, let's reduce it down to the core. You love him because he loves you. And then he says, but also the second is you love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment stronger than these. So when we talk about living in community, we're talking about this goes to the very core of what life is all about. Remember, I told you we want to experience that best life. Uh, it, it, one of my favorite studies, if, if you ever get a chance to read through it, it's called the Grant Study now, it's different names. It's a longitudinal study that was launched at Harvard University back in 1937. It's the longest of its kind. It's been going since 1937. And, and the participants, they started with 268 men in it and did this collection of men and followed them for a lifetime. Because they wanted to see, and the core thing is what makes for the best life, what makes for the best health, what makes for the happiest life. And they traced it for careers, they traced it for marriage, they traced all the different parts of it. George Vallant, who was the director of study for 42 years, they asked him, they said, oh, okay, out, out of everything you see, is it based on socioeconomics? Is it based on money? If you get the right career, the most fulfilling parts of it. And he goes over and over through the decades, here's the number one thing that came, comes back over and over again. He says, the only thing that really matters in life are your relationships with others. Bar none, relationship is the core. And again, this is Harvard University. So they're, they're not coming at it with a, a spiritual angle or anything else, but they've recognized, they go, the people that have relationships, people that invested in relationships, and I go, of course it's that way because all of us were created in the image of a relational God. It's fundamental to who we are. And so in the church, here's the great news, in the body of Christ, our connection to Christ connects us with each other. This is the secret sauce of church. We, we get a head start on relationship because we have this connection to Christ because of what we've done in that relationship. He then connects us to each other. Remember when Jesus was leaving? He says, you guys don't want me to go. It's actually good I go because when I go, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us through the power of the Holy Spirit, since if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit within us is what connects us together. And so when we use language like family, when we use language like body, it's not just a metaphor, there's actually a connection here that we have with each other. And, and I don't know how to describe it. If you're here and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, there's, there's parts of this that at times you, you don't really have words to describe it. But for those of us who, who follow Jesus, I don't know if you've had this experience and I've had the opportunity, guys, I have been all over the world. I've been most every continent. I've been in different contexts. I've been with people high and low and that. I've walked into rooms with people. We could not speak the same language. But because they had the Holy Spirit, because they were a part of this body, there was this connection there that you don't have words for. 
that you just, you realize, wait, I'm part of something bigger than I could even manufacture on my own. And, and it's, it's one of the things that, that the church can't afford to squander. It's, it's one of the, it's this, it's this home court advantage that you have that unfortunately teams that we like around here have chosen to squander. Guys, our home court advantage is relationship. Because we have a God who at the very core loved us so much, he opened a relationship with him. We have a God who loved us so much, he didn't leave us. He placed his spirit within us and he's connected us with each other. And so when we talk about living in community, that's why it's so important that we, we choose to do that. Look at the early church in Acts. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I love teaching. I love teaching you guys. I told you last week, you need to be devoted to teaching. But notice what else they're devoted to. And the fellowship. This word in the Greek is actually the koinonia. Uh, we have a, a Sunday school class that comes and meets here early, the koinonia class. And, and that word koinonia, fellowship, is not talking about just like a natural relationship. It's talking about this spirit connection that can only be accomplished in Christ. They devoted themselves to it to the breaking of the bread and to prayers, to sharing meals and communion together. They would do both together and to praying together. There, there's this core relationship that was a part of it. And as we, we look at that, that koinonia, that connection we have, here, here's the thing that we need to recognize though, living in community requires commitment. It doesn't just happen. The connection happens but, but notice that verse said they devoted themselves to it. They did life with each other. They opened up their homes to each other. They opened at a core level. They, they confessed sins one to another. They would share the highs and the lows together. They'd rejoice with those who rejoice and they'd weep with those who wept. There was this, this commitment that went beyond just gathering together and maybe just gathering together once a week and we sit and we listen to teaching together. There was a commitment that went to a core level that frankly our modern times militate against. Guys, if we're honest, most of us have better relationships with our devices than with other people. And, and if you question that, just pull it out and look how many hours you spent on said device last week. Now, I know some of you are like, yeah, but I was connecting to people. Well, just scroll down. See how many real people you were connecting with. We live in a culture and an age and a time and life's going all the time and there's a frenzy all the time and we're busy all the time and there's responsibility all the time and you never leave work all the time. That, that when we look at what's happening in the church, especially in this country that's fraying in so many ways, I think at the core of it, we're giving up the secret sauce. We're losing the relationship and the investment that we need to have in it. See, it requires commitment. It requires commitment to follow him according to his way. And so hear me, we're not talking about doing a big kumbaya circle and we all sit around. It doesn't matter what you think, what you believe with that. Scripture doesn't teach that. Look, in fact, what John says. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
We, that fellowship, that's that word again. If we say that, that we can walk in darkness and we're gonna have that koinonia, that kind of connection with God, John says that doesn't work. You can't choose to purposely walk in the dark and think that your relationship with God is gonna be strong. But notice what he says. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. He, he says our connection point is Jesus. And so if we want to do life together with other people and we're following him together, there's this first fundamental commitment that we have connected with Christ and we're walking according to his way. As we do that, then we start experiencing life together that much stronger. It, it's so important because again, we come at this with different perspectives. We come at this with different baggage. Some of us come with different brokenness in that. And, and John says, here's what unites you all. Instead of trying to figure out all those differences, instead of fighting for your rights, if every one of you turns toward Jesus and has your life aligned with him, here's what you'll know. Man, I always know I'm walking in light. I don't have to worry about stumbling in darkness. And I always know those who are walking with me, we're gonna experience a koinonia, a fellowship that we wouldn't have otherwise. It, it's, give you an example of it. You, know, you, have, you can have all these different instruments. I could put on this stage a hundred different pianos and they could all be out of tune. But all it takes is what the right instrument, a tuning fork. You hit the tuning fork and you suddenly can tune all the pianos. We can come in here. I can go, hey, we're all gonna sing together. We're gonna sing acapella. Let's start on the right note. Some of you go, Tim, it's hopeless with me. But if we were gonna do that, what do I got? I got a pitch pipe. That's B. We, we're all gonna do B together? No, I won't make you sing. But here's the reality. See, we all have the opportunity to unite to the same note. Guys, let's be honest. In our own lives, we hit the wrong notes. In our own lives, we all get out of tune. And if you take a bunch of out of tune people and you just say, well, we're just gonna gather together no matter what. And we'll just make this relationship work no matter what. You know what you end up with? You end up with a whole church out of tune and a bunch of problems in it. Here's what John says. Hey, your starting point in this fellowship is all of you in humility. You tune your life to Jesus. You bring all of your brokenness. You bring all your out of tune and you tune it to his truth and his way and his life. And as we do that, and we all collectively do that together, it brings us in unity together in his light so that we experience fellowship. Because here's the reality, and I've seen it happen time and time again. I've seen people, when they have sin in their life and they refuse to deal with the sin in their life, you know one of the first evidences of it is? They start pulling back from other people, especially in the church. They start pulling back from their life group. They stop coming to student ministry. I've seen it, young people, especially, I know we have our student ministry here. You, you hear this narrative over and over again, a young person and they go off to college and then at college, they just start drifting that much further. And then some point a professor tells them, well, the Bible's not true. And then they start convincing themselves, oh yeah, you know, I never really believed that to begin with. 
Here's what I'd say. That wasn't the start of the journey. The start of the journey was a choice that you don't want to walk in the light. And so that's why it's fundamental. At this age, you make the choice. You know, I'm going to walk in the light and stay in the light. And I'm going to surround myself with other young people. I'm going to surround myself with other single adults. I'm going to surround myself with other couples. I'm going to surround myself with other families. And we're going to make a choice together that we've aligned our life to Christ. And as we walk in the light, as he's in the light, you know what happens? We get that much tighter. We get that much stronger. It's fundamental to the life of a church. All of us desperately need that. So you have to make that commitment. And then the second part is a commitment to invest. It takes time. You, you got to commit to invest in each other. It, it doesn't just happen. At Venture, we try to structure every ministry to have relationship in it, to have community in it. That's why Life Groups is one of the most fundamental ministries we call everybody in the church to join. Get in a Life Group. Get some, some individuals, get some couples, get some families. You need to be doing life together. But it's not just there. In our women's ministry, we break into groups. Better man, it's always around the table. There's better man groups and we want guys meeting together. Our student ministry on Tuesday night. It's not just rah-rah. They have a great time. They have great teaching. You know what they do every week? They have adults who meet with our students. It's one of my favorite things when I'm here on a Tuesday night. After they've done the group time, watching all the small groups head out as they meet together. And know that we have adults who are investing in students that way because we know that, that life and relationship in that community. But you have to make a fundamental choice. You know, I always think of the image Chuck Swindoll talks about in the Old West, especially when they were trying to get Americans to move West and settle the new territory the government gave people huge sections of land. They'd give them a whole quarter section of land if you would just go homestead, just so that they could get it settled. And the people that would move west, when they got to their section of land, there was this sense of, oh man, I've arrived, look at all that's mine. And they would build their house right in the middle of the quarter section. Now, it's a natural temptation. You kind of build your house right in the middle of all your life. The problem was, all of them were isolated and it wasn't healthy. In fact, there was a photographer that traveled West and, and wanted to document different ones. And he, he kept describing, he says, uh, I keep running into really weird people out here. This is not healthy. So they made a choice instead of building in the center of their property, they would build on a corner and there'd be four houses on the four corners of the quarter section so that you had people that you did life with. You know, we're not in the old West and we don't have these big chunks of land, but I do think we've done the same thing. We've built these busy lives and we've put ourselves in the center of a busy life and we have so much going on and so much around us that you look up and you go, even surrounded and digitally connected, I can feel pretty isolated. Here's my question to you. Who's on your corner? Who are the, the two or three people, the two or three families, the two or three individuals that you, you've said, yeah, we've built our lives near each other and with each other. And we're doing life together. Because you fundamentally need it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, 
You need other people who are pursuing Jesus, who are walking the light, that are on your corners with you, that you can do that together. It's living in community. Let me, let me switch over to serving because serving is just as fundamental. Serving was a core to Jesus' ministry here on earth. If you look at serving and what Jesus did with it, I mean, it was just fundamental to his ministry. Look what he says in Mark 10. He says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even though I am the son of man, even though I am God in the flesh, if anybody had an excuse, because if you think of the mission he was on, he's come to save us. He's come to die on a cross. I mean, if he just showed up and that's all he did, he would have been gracious to us. He's come as God himself. So between those two things, the mission he's on and the person that he is, if anybody had a pass to look at people all day long and go, yeah, I don't have to serve, it would have been Jesus. And yet, what does he say? I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. I came to give my life away. And, and he did for us, part of what he's doing, remember he's modeling for us what he did with the disciples for three years. He says, you follow me. He's modeling for us what we need to be about. Because remember, it's the best life. It's the best life. It, it's interesting, I was reading this week on the uh, Mayo Clinic site. Uh, and so if you know the Mayo Clinic, it's known medically worldwide. The power of serving and what it does to your brain. When you serve other people, it, it increases positive relaxed feelings by re releasing dopamine in your brain. So maybe you don't have to go on another prescription, maybe serving could help with that. I, I mean this, by spending time in service to others, volunteers report a feeling, a, a feeling, a sense of meaning and appreciation, both given and received, which they can have stress, which can have stress reducing effect. Reduced stress further decreases physical and mental health problems, such as heart disease, stroke, depression, anxiety, and general illness. Again, Mayo Clinic did a longitudinal study. In other words, that means they did it for many years. It's in just a quick study with that. And found that individuals who serve have lower mortality rates when they take all factors into it. I mean, you, you, you look at these things. You want to live a happier life? Live in community because you were built for a relationship. You want, you want to live a life where you're looking at it and you go, man, I feel better about life. I know life better. You're serving others. We have all these longitudinal studies to prove what Jesus taught 2,000 years ago. I think he knew what he was talking about. And he said, I didn't come to serve. I'm calling you to serve just like I didn't come to serve or to be served. And so he served his followers in tangible ways. And, and we know probably the most tangible way is the story of uh, when he washed the disciples' feet. You remember the last night, again, this is his last night before his crucifixion. They gather for a meal in the room there together. And you gotta remember a table at that time was real low. So you, you reclined on one elbow and you ate with your other hand. So everybody's kind of laying down. And that meant as you went down the table, Somebody's feet were right in front of your face. I'm not a foot person. I, I just, feet to me are kind of, ugh, ugh. I see these people like, oh, I love a foot massage. Give me a foot massage. You're on your own on that one. Okay, I just, no. 
And we live in a day and age where we have socks and shoes and all that. Can you fathom walking those dirty, dusty roads with sandals on? 12 guys and Jesus in that room together. And you know, at least one of those guys had a foot odor issue. Like, you know, everybody's like, yeah, don't sit next to Philip. You, you won't be able to eat. I mean, like, you know, somebody in there, it had to be an issue with it. And so they all show up and you feel the frustration in the room because they're looking around who forgot to hire the servant. You always have a servant for a meal. Where's the servant? We can't even sit down for the meal till somebody washes the feet. Remember, Jesus set the whole thing up. He did it on purpose. Because then suddenly he gets down and he starts washing feet. And they're embarrassed. I mean, Peter doesn't even want him doing that. Jesus, at the end of one of the most profound service object lessons, he says these words. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, I am your teacher and Lord, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. I did this on purpose, guys. Because when I told you about serving, it wasn't just these glorious ways we like talking. Oh, I love serving. I love serving. He goes, all right, let's get specific. Do you like washing feet? And and it's funny, 2,000 years later, I've been part of things and we do foot washing and that. And it can be powerful ceremonially, but it's a ceremony. There's probably nobody here that was like, oh, I wish somebody in the church would wash my feet. I really need that. You don't need that. But you know what you do need? You do need tangible help in ways. If you're a parent, you do need somebody every weekend to serve and invest in our kids up there. If you've got teenagers, you do need somebody. All those small groups, they don't happen. It's because we have adults who take that night of every week because they want to invest in those kids. We have life groups because we have life group leaders who are willing to invest and prepare so that they can provide a setting where all of us can grow together. We, we have people in all these different ways, they serve in tangible ways with that. Jesus said, this is why I showed you, it's, it's not just like this glorious, it's real ways of service in that, that he did with his disciples and his followers. He also served the community at large through his ministry of miracles. He would go and serve out there. It wasn't just his followers, it was Who are all the people out there that need to be served? Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and affliction. If you look at it, this verse is repeated several times throughout the gospel because it's a summary of his model. Everywhere he went, he went teaching because they need to be taught, proclaiming because they have to hear the gospel. Nobody has a relationship with God without it. But then he also was healing And healing was a tangible way that Jesus could serve in a community, could meet real needs. Sometimes it was the miracles of feeding people like the thousands in it. Sometimes it was just a personal thing. Sometimes it'd be throngs of people gathered around him, just trying to touch him for that. And because he's God in flesh, he had that ability to do that. Here's what you see in his model. It was always a combination of truth that he taught and proof 
through his tangible ministry. That power of those two things together. And, and we look at it as his church. Um, he's not given any of us the ability to heal like he did. Remember, he was God in flesh. In fact, he's chosen a much different model with us. Instead of collecting all that power in one person, remember he said, I'm gonna put my spirit in all of you. We have this corporate power together that we can go out into the world and the church can shape this planet for his glory through the work we do and the tangible good that we do for our, our community at large. And so as we, we look at that, we're called to do the same thing. We're called to do the same thing. Here's what I'd say. If we're going to follow Jesus' model, we got to do both of them. One, we're called to serve each other as a church family. We're called to serve each other as a church family. Galatians 6, he says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Um, sometimes we can kind of glorify, oh man, service out there. That's, that's the really noble. And we forget about the service here. Paul says, oh no, your family, take care of your family, serve your family. We have a big household. You know, we have a ton of kids. We've always had that. And, and part of being a family is everybody does something. Everybody contributes. Unless if you're a newborn, if you're a little baby, you got a season where you get to ride, don't you? You know? But at some point, part of maturity is everybody takes on responsibility because we're connected to each other and we're serving the family. And if you're part of the venture family, part of your maturity, part of your growth is that you're serving. And for us to not call you to that would be just like a parent who raises a child in the house and never challenges them with responsibility. So let me just ask you, week in, week out, as you come to Ventures, you're part of this family. If you're part of the Venture Church family, where, where and how are you serving? Because we're failing, remember? We all have responsibility. So where and how are you serving? Some of you say, well, you know, I serve by bringing my charming self every week. <laughs> and we, we're glad you do. Because you are so charming. But you're never going to grow that way. And so a fundamental part of this is that you step forward. That, that's why we have these opportunities. That's why we have that fair set up. That's why we have all these places that we call you to. It's not because, oh man, we got to figure out how to get this done. We got to figure out how to help a whole church family mature in Jesus. And actually experience the life that he promised us through serving. And so the things we're calling you to, you might look at it and go, ooh, man, that would be hard. That's challenging. Yeah, it's a lot like washing feet. In fact, if I were to say washing feet, one of my favorite groups that serve here are the parking lot team. When I pull in and I see those guys out there, in fact, one of the guys on the team, Sean, uh, we, we had a little bit of his testimony on Easter morning, but I, I love to watch how Sean serves. If you've been out there and seen it, I want you to just watch a little bit of Sean's stories. He talks about serving. Volunteering filled a void that I had felt um, of just not having the community uh, that I felt like I needed. My name is Sean. I've been attending Venture for eight years with my wife, Grace, and our two daughters. I currently serve as the parking ministry lead and in the middle school ministry with the seventh grade boys. 
In 2015, we'd come from a different church. We decided that we needed to spend our first year um, just as a spectator to figure out if this was going to be our home church. Um, after that year, uh, my wife and I decided it's, if this is our home church, then we really need to get involved. And so we started looking at the different opportunities. Uh, I fell in love with the parking ministry and, and just that group of guys was really just something, they, they welcomed me and I, I just really enjoyed my time there. So after I started volunteering, I noticed that my, my heart started softening. I started building bonds with the people I was serving with. I started building bonds with the people I was greeting. During my volunteering, God opened up my, my heart to building relationships, to building Christian relationships. Before, before volunteering, I had no Christian friends. I had no Christian community. A Tuesday night, it started out just me dropping off my daughter, and then I would just hang out in the car. Uh, and then it kind of just morphed into me becoming a leader because I was already there, and my heart for service is there. So I was skeptical at first. I didn't think I was qualified to, to be a leader of the seventh grade boys. Um, but once I started, it just kind of felt natural. It felt like it's something I wanted to do. Um, and just hearing the boys kind of formulate their thoughts and, and speak about their spiritual being, it, it really uh, encouraged me to know that that's where I needed to be. My serving uh, and my wife's serving has enabled us to both feel more connected with church. Uh, now I can see that God's used my time serving to bless me more. And it's also fostered a, an environment where we get to example for our daughters what it looks like. And um, this coming year, we've asked both of them uh, to start uh, thinking about areas they would like to serve in as well. Hey, can we thank Sean? Yeah. Why don't you do this even better? Whether you see Sean or anybody that's working out there, give them some thanks today. Thank, they, they get here early, all that they do, but you look at that, you hear the same themes, it's through that serving you start making that connection. You start seeing the joy that comes out of that. And so I'm just asking if you're part of this family, man, where are you serving your family? And then as a part of the church, man, we're, we're called to serve the community at large. We're called to serve the Bay Area. We're called to go out and in tangible ways make a difference. Now, I wish I had the gifts of Jesus that I could go out on a healing campaign today. But he's not gifted us with that. But you know what he has gifted us with? He's gifted us with a church full of people and you have spiritual gifts and you have abilities and you have time and you have resources and you have energy. And you know what happens when you show up with about 900 of them at a place like Teen Challenge or Linda Vista Elementary and you unleash all those things? You're able to do in that moment that, that what Christ could do to bring energy and glory to God, he's allowing his church to do as we go out and we serve. That's why he said in, in Matthew five, he said, you're the light of the world. And, and notice what that means to be a light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. They see you actually do something and glorify God to it. That, that's what's involved in it. And so that's why next weekend, we got serve day and it's a couple of days and all we're asking for is four hours out of it. 
Because if we collectively show up with that force, the goal of it is, is somebody who maybe is far from God would look at that and they would go, why do these people do that? And then we tell them, oh, we're just following Jesus and this is what he did. We're just imitating the one that we have a relationship. Man, you ought to meet him too. Remember several years ago, it was a different church, but we did a serve day and we renovated a school. And the principal of the school, for a few years, we'd been wanting to do this school and the principal didn't want us on campus at all. Was very wary about the church being there. And finally had seen what other schools had experienced. She opened it up to it and we went and it was kind of one of those blow it out days. I mean, the playground, the inside, outside, all of it. And I remember later that week, I was walking with one of the project leaders. We had to go pick up something. Just we were looking at the campus and she came out of her office and she, she said, are, are you the, the, the father of the church? <laughs> and she didn't, I, I said, well, I'm the, yeah, I'm the pastor uh, with that. She, okay, pastor, I didn't know the right term. And she, she just said, I, I just want to thank you. This, this is so different than I expected. I, I just, I, and, and so she started this effusive thanks with me and finally I had to stop her. I said, look, you need to recognize there's, there's people in the project guy I was with who's one of the construction head. I said, it's guys like this who's been spending weeks getting prepared. It's the team of the church that's doing it. But really at the core, just, just hear us. We're just doing this because this is the kind of stuff Jesus did. He loved people, no strings attached. And we want to make the same kind of difference in our community. And I remember she, she was there and she wasn't spiritual at all, but she, she was looking for something to say. And she said, well, I'm, praise God, I guess. <laughs> and I laughed because you know what she just did in that moment? She glorified our father who's in heaven. Guys, you want the best life. These practices were teaching all these parts of it. We, we, we're not teaching them and Jesus didn't model them and do them just because, oh man, these would be good things for people to do. These are fundamental to experiencing life in him. And so as we finish out, let me just give you, every week we want to kind of put these practices into practice. So on engaging God, let's soap it again through Psalm 15 through 21. And if you don't know what that term means, go listen to the sermon from two weeks ago. As we process through that together as a church, on, on received teaching, continue to make a commitment to listen to the Venture Sermon each week. Man, if you can be here and we can engage it or watch it online, but that you focus your attention and actually allow yourself to be taught through that. Worship daily, every morning, offer your day to God as a living sacrifice. Just that simple expression alone, you'd be surprised how it changes the day. When we get to living in community, here, I just would ask you, would you honestly evaluate if and where you're doing life in community? Are you living on the corners or have you built your life with a lot of space all around you? And, and maybe the simplest way is write down the names of two or three people you want to do life with and tell them. Or maybe if you're here, you go, man, I got two or three people, man, we are doing life together. Then thank them. And recommit to that. When it comes to service, I just say, write down where you are serving the church family. It's real simple. All you gotta do is write, I am serving the Venture Church family. And if there's a blank, that's a problem. You might wanna stop by the fair on your way out because you could solve that today. And then ask yourself, write down, where are you serving the Bay Area? 
Where are we salt and light out there? And again, I always love having an immediate application. If you got a blank, join us next weekend. Be the best four hours you spend during that time. Guys, none of this stuff is rocket science. But it is absolutely fundamental to experiencing the life that Jesus promised. Not just a path to a life then, but to experience the abundant life now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for how you're working in and through your church. Thank you for the ways that you've called us. Thank you for the people here that just serve over and over again. Lord, they're all over this campus. There's people who are living out this message. Lord, I thank you for the people that invest in my life and the opportunity we have through the Holy Spirit to do life together. I, I pray, would you multiply this? Would we be a church where everybody in the family knows where and how to serve and bring you glory? We, we pray that we would be a body so connected that it's not just attending a service together, but it's doing life with people that we love. Lord, we thank you this is possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray this in his name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.